Welcome to Donor Conception Conversations, the one podcast created exclusively for those who've used or will be using donor conception to build their family. I'm your host, Lisa Schumann. As a researcher, therapist, and an expert in donor conception, I'm passionate about helping people on their donor conception journey. After decades of working in the field, working on site at some of the best fertility clinics in the world, and through my group, the Center for Family Building, I've seen thousands and thousands of people who've used donor conception to build their family. In this podcast, my guests and I will share the tools and the truths that you need to have a better path to parenthood or help you tackle parenting issues. If it's about donor conception, we're going to talk about it. And today, I can welcome Jamie Kelton, who I'm so excited to welcome. I've been a guest on her podcast, and now she can be a guest on mine. She's a podcast host of the Queer Family Podcast. She's an actress, advocate, social media influencer, and a wonderful mom who used donor sperm to build her family. Today, she'll share her story with you and provide insight on things she's learned as a patient, a parent, a supporter of others to join their path to parenthood, and as a wonderful, wonderful mom and partner. Welcome, Jamie. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Jamie. (laughs) Thanks so much for coming on. We're taking turns here. I've been on your podcast, you've been on mine, and now you've launched this fabulous new podcast. I'm so excited about it. Do you want to start there or start talking about your journey? Where would you like to start today? Oh, my goodness. Well, so um, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your your podcast. It's exciting. I'm excited for you. Welcome to the roller coaster of podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, so I am the host and um, co-founder and producer of the Queer Family Podcast, which used to be known as If These Ovaries Could Talk, the show all about family, but with gay, as we like to say. Um, we have been in existence for five years, about 200 episodes. Um, and, um, we're headed into, well, we are in our 11th season now. And as we head into our, yes, as we headed into that season, um, I decided it was time for a rebrand to make this show even more clearly clear what it is and more inclusive of the entire LGBTQIA plus community, because if these ovaries could talk, did not include the entire community. And when we started it, we had no idea it would take off like it did. We just thought we had enough gay mom friends to fill one season. And so we just went with that and ovaries was a great name then, but things have changed. And so in, in an attempt to be more inclusive and um, clear about exactly what this podcast is about, I've rebranded it, the Queer Family Podcast. And um, we're moving onward and upward from there. And it's good, fun. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us a little bit of how it started and your journey to parenthood and some of the things you've experienced along the way. Yeah, sure. So uh, my wife and I, when we decided we wanted to have kids, at first it was my wife didn't want to carry and obviously I was going to be the one to carry. So we were going to have like one kid. Then all of a sudden, right after our marriage, she dropped the bomb on me that, you know what? I think I want to carry. I wasn't expecting that. That was new. And it changed the game for us a little bit. And this is, these are questions that us queer folks have to ask ourselves before we even start this process. Who's going to carry the baby? Do genetics matter to you? How are you going to go about, you know, there's so many questions you have to answer before you start in the queer, in the queer building space, which this show has shown me immensely more than I even knew. But 
So when we're starting it, we had a couple of friends who had gone down the lesbian baby making route. So we had somewhat of a blueprint. And so we knew we were going to use a sperm donor and we knew, um, actually we knew we were going to use a donor. We just didn't know if it was going to be a known donor or a, a sperm bank donor. That's another story. But anyway, back to the point, my wife said, you know, I think I want to carry, which changed things for us. Now that meant that because I felt very strongly that I also wanted to experience pregnancy and I wanted to carry as well. That meant we weren't just having one. We were going to have two kids. And it also meant she was seven years, she's seven years older than me. So it meant we had to start right away because she, I had to, I was 30, she was 37. And so I thought we had a bit of a cushion before we started this process. When she dropped that ball, we had to start right away. We went back and forth with, okay, we're going to use a known donor or a sperm donor at a bank. Our friends had all used sperm donors we didn't really know anybody who had gone the known donor route, route. We knew it was more complicated. We toyed with the idea of asking a really close friend. And in the end, we decided against that because we wanted this to be our child. We didn't want any other folks in the picture that could possibly complicate things. My stance has changed on that since, since that, this initial conversation. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that because I've talked to so many donor conceived people and folks who've used donors um, and who've met their donor siblings. That's, a, that's, another, that's another conversation. But um, we decided, okay, let's not complicate things. This one friend we had, his family was very involved. And we knew that if we used him, his family would also be very involved. And we just weren't ready for that. And then the legalities of using a known donor, it's like super complicated. We just didn't have it in us. So we went to a sperm bank. We picked the donor. My wife got pregnant relatively easily. And we had our daughter. And then when it came time for me to give birth, it didn't happen so fast. I thought I was going to get like secretly, quickly pregnant. We started trying when my daughter was 18 months because we wanted them to be like two, two and a half years apart. And I thought, oh, I'm just mm -hmm. going to get pregnant real fast. We're not going to tell anybody. It's going to be, you know, because I was, I was young. I mean, I was 35 or 34 when we started and it didn't work. And we tried and we tried and we tried and it wasn't working. And the doctor diagnosed me with unexplained infertility. He couldn't figure out why it wasn't working. Everything was, was in working order. There was just no rhyme or reason for why it wasn't working. We did multiple IUIs. I think I did over 20 IUIs. I did three. Oh IUIs. my goodness. Yeah. Three, it was three and a half years of unexplained infertility. We had to bring our sperm. We wanted them, the kids to have the same sperm donor. He had been retired from the system. We had to bring him out of retirement, buy all his vials. Like it was a lot. But finally, after three and a half years, all those IVFs, IUIs, multiple fertility drugs, all this stuff, finally ended up getting pregnant after I switched doctors. And I got pregnant on a lightly medicated IUI, I like to say, after all that journey. Um, wow. Yeah. And this show came about because, you know, as you do when you're experiencing infertility, you get a little sad, you get a little lonely. You start wanting, I personally wanted to hear other people who had gone through what I was going through. And I wanted to hear my story reflected back to me. And I was looking for other queer family building stories. I couldn't find them. They're not in the mainstream. I thought, well, podcasts, podcasts, there's a podcast about everything. There's, this was like six or seven years ago. There's already a podcast about everything. 
there's got to be a podcast about this. So I'm looking for infertility podcasts. And every infertility podcast I found was always heteronormative. It was always a man and a woman story with a token queer story thrown in the season here and there, you know. And a lot of times it would like circle back to Jesus and their faith in Jesus. And that's what got them through. And like, no shade, if that's for you, that's not for me. Like that, that's not, and that's not my story. I wanted to hear the story of another lesbian trying to get pregnant with her wife while she already had a kid. And she was a non-bio mom already and experiencing that and thinking, oh my God, I'm never going to know what it feels like to have a biological connection and how scary that was for me, which Turns out it doesn't really matter, but it took me having a baby with my biology to realize, oh, it really doesn't matter, actually. But that's another conversation. (laughs) A lot of conversation. But so that's and so I ended up getting pregnant and I had my son and now he's five and my daughter is nine. And we built a podcast because of it. That's my new baby. (laughs) Fantastic. And no more, no more real babies. No, no. I mean, I'm too old at this point. And, uh, no, that ship has sailed. It's done. It's, it took way too much effort to make these two babies. I can't do it again. And it's oh. way too expensive. <laughs> it is just, very expensive. Bang. You know, it just doesn't work that way for us. Yeah, it is very expensive. So tell me, Jamie, what do you think you, you find, um, are some of like the big issues for people these days? Because it has changed quite a bit. I mean, yeah, as you know, I've been doing this for decades. And, um, you know, I find, I don't know if you're familiar with my latest research, but, you know, the study that I did in 2019 were with um, same-sex male couples, and they really wanted to have a child with each of their genetics. It was really important to them. And so this year, I published a follow-up uh, piece of research, which was, um, you know, a two or three year project of gathering data from hundreds of lesbian couples trying to see if they felt the same because that maybe men and women are different in that way because the lesbian couples I met felt like, well, you know, it didn't always matter to me if I had my genetics or my wife's, it doesn't really matter as much. Some women felt that way, some women didn't, but almost every man I met did feel that way. And it turned out that some women did want to use their genetics and other women wanted to carry. Some women wanted both, but some women only felt connected to carrying and some women only felt connected to using their genetics. So, you know, we just have more choices, I think, right? More ways to feel connected to our children. And so even though I, you know, in some ways I'd like to think that, you know, we're, you know, we're so evolved and it doesn't really matter and we're, you know, maternal and we just like love our partners no matter what, you know, the truth is we also have this extra way to connect to our children. So I do think that in some ways for women, um, it does seem to be, you know, a little bit more complicated. Um, and of course, we have this issue of biology, which men don't have, right? Men don't typically have to worry about struggling with the pain of infertility when they go through these processes in the same way. Yes, there is male infertility, but, you know, the egg seems to be, you know, one of the biggest problems in fertility treatment. So I do feel like there's so many more stumbling blocks for women. And then you have two women in a couple and you have so many of these dynamics coming up. Have you seen those, all of those issues be kind of major themes in the people that you work with on your podcast or 
are you seeing new things uh, develop that become more prominent? Well, I think that what I've noticed in everyone I've interviewed over the past five years is, and I, I don't know if it's a, a gender thing, uh, I think across the board, uh, males and females and in between, um, some of them feel a very strong connection to a strong uh, pull towards having a genetic tie. And some of them just never really cared and never, it was never really an issue for them. I haven't noticed it across. I, I don't know. I haven't noticed anything either way in regards to gender at all, really. It's just, you know, it's, it's like the golden thing when like, it's the dream when you're in a couple and one of you says, well, I really want to have a genetic tie and I want to carry. And the other one says, well, I don't care about that. And I don't want to carry, but I want us to have a baby. Like, that's like the dream. Cause then it's like, boom, we made the decision. We're done. Right. Right. It's when you both want to have a genetic tie. One of you can't, one of you can't, unless you have two kids, but you're still not going to have a genetic tie to one of those kids. Right. Yeah. I don't know what I notice with, with queer families is that we're really creative and we find ways to make families in, in many, many, many different forms in many different ways. And that's kind of the beauty of our community. We know how to think outside the box and we make some pretty um, creative families, which is wonderful. The genetic ties, it's a thing and it's hard when you realize. And I think that I talk about this a lot on the show, like with queer folks, we come into this routine knowing we're going to have to make compromises, knowing that we're not necessarily all going to have a genetic tie in our families. We know this already. And when folks who are not queer come to this, the straights, you know, come to this realization, it's a really big shock because you go into this baby making game thinking, here it goes. This is how it works. We do A, B, and C, and then a baby comes. And then when it doesn't work, then you're faced with, oh my God, I didn't know this was coming. And I think that's a diff that's a big difference between queer queer family making and non-queer family making. The blow is not as hard to take for us, I think, because we already are right. We're like prepared for it. And we've already done the work like throughout our whole lives coming out and all the stuff to prepare for um, the fact that we're not necessarily going to get what everybody else gets, <laughs> I guess, if that makes sense. Do you think, Jamie, that that changed things for you? That idea that you would already kind of thought, well, I'm going to have to make compromises, change things for you as you said, well, I want to use my genetics too. And then thinking maybe you wouldn't. Do you think that that kind of preemptive understanding helped? I think a little, I think when I was going through the infertility, trying to get pregnant, I was already a mother and full-time mothering. Um, albeit she was not genetically tied to me, but it didn't matter. I was still fully 100% her mother and doing the job and loving her just the same. And, um, I think that helped me honestly with the infertility the idea that it might not work was also, though, really scary and panicky because the gen, I don't know, like something in me needed to experience it. I needed to experience pregnancy. I needed to experience this tie. And then once he came, then I really realized, oh, yeah, no, 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 that doesn't matter at all. 
Like it really doesn't matter. I think it's good, you know, for people to hear that because that, of course, is always a fear, right? You're saying that there's like two driving forces. One is you want to be able to have a genetic tie for you to have that experience for you. But then you also want, as a mom, to be genetically tied to this child to have that experience with the child. And that second part is not as important, right? Maybe you want to fulfill, like that second part doesn't really need to be as powerful in some ways in hindsight because you feel like it doesn't really matter. You're, you're still going to be a mom in the same way, whether or not you're genetically connected to your children. Yeah. I mean, my daughter is um, very much like me <laughs> in so many ways, and we don't have a genetic tie at all. And my son does things that I'm like, where, where does that, I don't know where that comes from. That does not come from uh -huh. me, but we also have the unknown in both of their genetics, which is the donor. <laughs> so there's that as well. So anything bad that comes up in their personalities, I just blame the donor off right now. I'm just like, ah, that's the donor. Right. There you go. <laughs> that, that must be that donor. So they, they share go. that together. They have the same donor. It's this weird thing. Some of us are totally 100% fine with, with that. And some of us are not. And it's across the board. Every couple I speak to, some are right away. I didn't, never cared about that. I never cared about the tie. I knew this baby would be mine. And some of us, like myself, were really afraid we wouldn't have like a connection to the kid because we weren't genetically tied, which is in hindsight, ridiculous, but it's a real fear and it's scary. Yeah. So, but I have the advantage of being both a bio mom and a non-bio mom. So I can kind of compare and contrast. And that's why it took me having a son through my own body to really see, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This doesn't matter. <laughs> so that's the beauty of being gay. I get to be bio mom and non-bio mom. I mean, there's other ways to go about that, but. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Right. I'm a non-bio mom. So, yeah. Um, and, and also you, there's also that piece of family, right? Because sometimes, right. I mean, you're, and I'm sure you, a lot of you talk to guests about this. Sometimes people feel like, wow, my mom is going to be really upset that I'm gay because they're, my mom's going to assume I'm not going to have grandchildren now. And so there's already that feeling, so then once you say, okay, well, now I'm going to have children, but I'm going to use my wife's eggs, then there can be that added disappointment for the family, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and, and the families, <laughs> there's all kinds of reactions from our, our families, to, from all of the conversations I've had, families react in all, a myriad of ways, some of them not so great, but most of the time across the board, when that baby comes or those babies come, the family changes completely. Yeah. Um, babies change people in, yes. in good ways. So they get over it. They get over it fast. But getting there can be hard, right? To kind of approach your parents and say, okay, well, I came out to you and that was hard enough. And now I have to also tell you, you're going to be a grandparent, but it's not going to have your Italian blood or is not going to have your, you know, Irish genes or whatever. Yeah. I think a lot of, be hard. I think a lot of parents, um, have already mourned, like, like, I think at, at that point they've already decided, well, they're not, I'm never going to have a grandbaby with this kid anyway. 
that when we come to them and we say, well, here's, I'm getting, I'm having a kid. It's just going to come this way. I think at that point, they're just like, ah, okay. Resigned to it in a way. And I don't know. It's complicated. Right. It could be really, really difficult. Really, 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 really difficult. Yeah. And I see particularly, I don't know if you see this on your podcast, or all the people that you speak with kind of across the board, and it's, you know, obviously not a huge sample size, but I kind of see this as this, the evolution of people in the world becoming, you know, much more accepting and feeling and, you know, mm-hmm. having children with two moms or one dad is, you know, kind of uh, a little bit more um, mainstream. It still seems to be uh, a sticking point, I think, for the trans community. And uh, sadly, it seems like for the trans community, it's a little bit, the uptake seems so much slower. Is that your experience? Do you mean acceptance of the trans community in general? or And, fam- and families and building families. Well, almost oh, definitely. I mean, you know, we're still struggling to have real inclusion as LG, as queer folks, as, as lesbians and gay men in the fertility space. We're still very much struggling for inclusion and equality, like with insurances, they're inherently biased against us. And yes. fertility clinics, they might have their little rainbow flag on the website, but you go in there and they have not done any of the work to be inclusive, don't even know what it means to be inclusive for a queer couple trying to make a baby. And so we're already there with like your cis gendered gay folks. Take it to trans, the trans and the non-binary community. No. Oh my God. Like there's so much more to, to there, we have so much further to go. So much further to go. You see it in legislature. Like people don't even understand what trans is. They're so confused by it. The way they talk about us in legislature, it's crazy. It's crazy. And they're attacking the trans community hard right now. Hard. Because. Yeah. Much harder. Yeah. Because it's something they're afraid of and they're ignorant. And unfortunately, the folks who need to do the work aren't doing the work to learn and educate themselves on really what it means to be transgender and what a transgender person is, how they show up in the world. They're not, you know. It's it's very frustrating, and there's a long way to go. Which yeah, is why, a really long way to go. Right, which is part of the reason why I kind of wanted to rebrand the show and get more folks um, at the hosting table who had different perspectives of me, because um, I'm a cisgendered white lesbian mom. Right, I'm pretty privileged in the world of the LGBTQIA folks. I'm very pri- I'm white and I'm cisgendered and I pass. If I don't want to show up as gay, I don't have to. Right. Like people. Well, actually, with my short hair, I don't know if people assume I'm straight anymore, but they used to all the time. (laughs) But I can pass and other folks can't. And they show up in a world and they're shunned. And so it was it's important for me to get their perspectives and their stories, because the more we tell these stories, the more normalized we become and the more normal we become. Then maybe, you know, legislature and policy will follow suit. (laughs) Who knows? I mean, it's heartbreaking. I just saw um, the other day Bill Maher talk about the trans community and it was like heartbreaking to watch it because even kind of in kind of quote unquote liberal communities, people are so ignorant mm-hmm. and it's it's really heartbreaking not to get on a 
sidetrack of politics here, but I do think that it's really important for us to to figure out good ways to support the trans community as much as possible because kind of going back to, you know, our original donor conception conversations idea, I think, you know, we have so many more decisions to make, right? If you're in, you know, a gay couple, you have a, a partner and you have that those decisions to make with your partner. If you're single, then you have other decisions to make, right? But then if you're trans, there's so many more decisions to make, you know, and we'll talk more about this, I guess, in other episodes, but it just gets more and more layered and more and more complicated about decision making. And I think kind of going back to the donor conception topic, as we talk about whether or not we're connected to our genetics, it becomes so complicated, right? Because if you are not feeling that you want to be producing eggs um, and you'd like a genetic connection or you don't want to be producing sperm and you want a genetic connection, then it becomes, you know, such such a conflicted problem. So I do think it is, you know, a big thing uh, to think about. And I do think, Jamie, it is good to talk about this idea that once you have your children, you love them equally, because I do think that that does help for people to know that, um, to understand that even though there is this, you know, old caveman desire to reproduce our own genetics, and maybe that's the way, you know, some people are just wired, ultimately, you know, we're going to love our children no matter what. Yeah. And I think that that can be, you know, really a relief for people who are struggling um, to either make that decision because maybe they can't, don't have the fertility benefits so they can have two children, or maybe they um, are in the trans community and they can't produce their eggs or sperm or don't want to. And there's that conflict there. So I think knowing that you're going to love your children no matter what uh, is, you know, can be can help. Yeah. Not going to take away the problem, but it can help. Yeah. And however, in the end, however your family comes to you, um, however it happens, it is um, beautiful and it will be okay. It's the way it was meant to be. And you're going to love your family. Even if it's your chosen, even if it's a chosen family, you'll find it. You'll find it. It In the end, it'll all be okay. If it's not okay, it's not the end. That's my quote that got me through my infertility. And it was true. But the other thing is that you didn't give up, you know, in spite of all of these obstacles, Jamie, you felt like, which I think is the most beautiful thing is to say, you know, I'm going to find my family. Like you said, chosen family, some people find a chosen family, but I'm going to create my family and you just continue to pursue it. And I think that's so fantastic and so important for people to feel inspired by. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kept going. I'm, I'm stubborn. Well, it's good because the, it allowed you to make this new podcast. Right. Exactly. It created a new baby for me. That's for sure. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. And then, you know, and then when you have donor conceived kids, that creates a whole nother slew of things to think about. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you now you have this this unknown entity who is 50 percent of your children's genetic makeup. And when I went into this, I never really thought. I never thought too deeply about that connection. I didn't think my kids would even ask about 
a donor or a dad or anything. I just was like a little bit naive about it. I just figured out, well, this is how we're doing it. And they're going to be happy and they're going to be fine. They're going to love their two moms. And, and for the most part, it is happy and fine. And they love their two moms, but there are conversations about that donor. And that's the thing also with queer families, we're kind of lucky because we have to talk about their origin story to them from the get-go because it's obvious we did something to create this family. It's obvious we need we had help from somewhere. And so because people are asking us in our outside lives and we don't want our kids to be shocked, we're constantly talking to our kids about where they came from. That's why our kids all know about sperm and ovaries and embryos and fertility doctors and donors. You know, like our kids, the queer community, know all about this. Can I swear? I was gonna swear. Yes, go right ahead. Yes, you know can. all about Come this on. shit, like from birth. Yeah. And they're schooling the kids on the playground. And um, it's kind of funny. And you know this because you talk about this all the time. Telling your kids about their origin story is so super important. And I take your advice from when you were on the show constantly. I think of you all the time, Lisa, because oh, thanks, Jim. you talked about the drop the seed. What mm-hmm. is it? The drop the seed theory? Mm-hmm. What, you just drop the knowledge and the kids pick it up at age appropriate times when they're ready for it. But you just keep dropping those seeds of who they are and where they came from, who they are. And, where they, and we have books that we read to them about donor conceived kids. And we have the, the folder with all the information about the donor and the pictures. And if they ask, well, I have, you know, I have this info. Would you like to see it? And my daughter, she's nine now. So she has looked at it a couple times and we've talked about him and, when she was really little, when she was like four, she was like, what does he look like? And what's his name? And I sat down. This was from another guest I interviewed because she was a, a kid born in the 80s to gay moms. And her mom oh. did this for her when she asked. I said, well, let's let's draw a picture of him. Let's draw a picture of what we think he looks like. She drew a picture of this guy. <laughs> he had a <laughs> rainbow shirt on. She named him. I can't oh, remember what she good. named him. But it's on our fridge to this day. That was five years ago. It just, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's the donor. And so we're constantly having these conversations. But here's the thing. You have the conversation about the donor constantly, right? And then as they grow, as they grow, as they grow, now we have to start introducing the fact that our kids probably have donor siblings. I didn't introduce that in the very beginning. Then Mm -hmm. I realized, oh, shit, I got to talk about this because there's at least four that I know of. And I'm sure there are more. And I'm in contact with like two families, um, sort of through like a really loose Facebook group. So then I started weaving that into the conversation. And now I I weave it into it with my son too. He doesn't ask about it as much. And I think that I'm not talking about it as much with him and I probably should do a better job. Second kid, poor second kid. They just get the shaft, but like, (laughs) I just assume him to know everything, I guess. But um, I'm just going to learn it by osmosis, but right. You know, and so then we had to weave into the idea that there are donor siblings. Then I'm getting to know the donor families. And I found out that recently that one of the donor families um, actually knows our donor and is friends with him. Wow. Yeah. And she sent me a picture of him as an adult. And I was like, oh, God. Okay, I have this information now shit, I have this information now. I have to, I have to be open about this. Like I can't just hoard it away 
and pretend it didn't exist so that when my daughter's 25, she sees the picture and is like, mom, you mm-hmm. knew this all like, I can't, that can't right. happen. So then I had to figure out a way I printed his picture out, put it in the folder and I had to figure out a way to like the next time she asked it, I said, you know what? I actually have an adult picture now. Do you want to see it? And it was, yeah, I do. So it was like, mm-hmm. okay, here we go. You know, and she saw the picture and then I was like, and this particular, the mother of the other siblings told me that he is willing to be contacted and can give me his email. I think she gave me his email. I know his name. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I said to her, I said, I think we could contact him if we wanted to. Is that something you'd want to do? And she said, yes. And then she walked away and we didn't talk about it again. So, and then, you know, so I didn't like, I said, okay, we can do that. We can do that. And I'm waiting for, this was recently. So I'm kind of waiting for her to bring it up again. And then I need to, my wife and I need to sit down and write an email to this guy and explain, here's the situation. Mm -hmm. This is where we're at. And our kids might want to uh, have a little contact with you. And how do you feel about that? And then, you know, based on his response, then we can kind of weave our kids into the fold. But this is the complications (laughs) that come with donor conceived families. And I'm lucky because I have talked to over 200 plus people, many of them with donor conceived kids or or who were donor conceived. And who have been open and honest about it from the start. And many of whom have really strong relationships with their donor siblings, are very close with them. And I have learned from these folks because when I first started this podcast, I was like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to know anybody. I don't want to know them. I don't want to. I don't want to know the donor. And then after hearing all of them talk about, oh, my God, you know, like we're so close. We're friends and the kids love each other. And hearing the donor conceived kids talk about how they just get along and they love each other and it's just wonderful. And they're like cousins, you know, you hear all these things. And these are folks who are not angry about being donor right. conceived. Right. right. These are folks like the kids knew from the right. start and there was never a shock. Yes. A hundred percent. I'd like I've to highlight talked- that for everybody who's listening. Yes. These are yes. in the LGBTQ community. It's very rare that a child of an LGBTQ family gets the shock that they were donor conceived later in life. Like they know. We all know it's talked about, which makes it easier to kind mm-hmm. of like hold them all together. But it made me come around to the idea of the more the merrier. And if there are more people in my children's lives that can enhance their lives and give them strong, deep relationships, then why the heck not? Why wouldn't I want that? Why wouldn't I want more love for my kids? Of course, you want to protect them and make sure that this is not a bunch of crazy people. Who knows? <laughs> right. But people are people. People are people. But somebody that I we interviewed, like season one, they were really close with their donor siblings. Like they would take like yearly vacations with all the donor families, like like 12 families. They would like go to Mexico together. They were super close. And she and one of the moms had a really cool point. She said, you know what? We don't know each other. We're not similar in many ways, but there is one thing we have in common we all chose the same guy, which is interesting, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting way to look at it. Because there's reasons we chose the person we chose for our children. Um, Even if it's just on paper, Mm -hmm. you know, we have that in common, which is, um, I like to look at it that way. Yeah. I like to look at it that way. But it's complicated. It's very (laughs) complicated. I'm still figuring out how to navigate it. 
but I'm trying. And I think of you, Lisa, all the time. I'm trying to be open and honest around every turn. So there's yeah. never, ever a shock. Well, I think that's great. Yeah. And, you know, we had uh, Wendy Kramer on as our first guest. And she says, she said, you know, when you look around your Thanksgiving table, you have different relationships with lots of people, right? You're all related to them typically. And some people you like, some people you don't like, some people you just tolerate, yeah. some people you think are funny. It's not going to be different, right? You're going to meet all these stone related siblings and you never know. You And you know, there's no pressure to love every single person you meet. And I know certainly in my family, my three children have very, very different feelings about and relationships with their birth parents. It's, you know, extremely mm -hmm. different, you know, and we as parents, we just have to help our kids as much as we can land softly onto these tough topics and help help navigate their road through this as much as we can and hold their hand and help them through this process and help them understand that, you know, ultimately we're their parents. And so we're going to, they can always come touch home base whenever they need to and go out yeah. there in the world and explore their genetic families and come back to home base whenever they want. It, it's tough, but it can be, as you said, you know, really nice way to kind of find more people to love you and more people to be connected to. So. That's great. Yeah, it's true. I mean, life gets busy and I, I should probably do a better job of keeping, keeping track of the, all the people, but. <laughs> difficult. I'm doing this. Yeah. Very good. people. Yes. Yeah. And I don't even have that many. I only know of two other families. Apparently. And your kids may or may not want to. I mean, you'll see, they may mm -hmm. be interested. They may not. So they may say, mom, yeah. why'd you bother doing all that work? I really, you know, it's enough work for me just to be in touch with, you know, my one sibling. I've got enough on my plate. So. You know, yeah. you'll see how they feel. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. It's a changing world. And I'm so glad you're part of it, Jamie. And I'm so glad that you're mm -hmm. educating you people there out there in the world. And um, we're going to have to wind down. But I hope I can have you back on again. Because there are so many things to talk about. And uh, you have so much uh, knowledge after speaking with the, all of those people that you've seen. And I think uh, it, it would be great to have you back and have you share that. Yeah. Happy to come back. Always love, love talking. I don't know if I'm an expert, but I can just talk about stuff. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have gained an expertise in this, Jamie, and I, and, and I think your perspective is wonderful. So thank you for coming. Thank you, Lisa. It's been great. You're welcome. So everyone out there, thanks so much for joining and uh, thank you for sitting and listening to the, this conversation. If you'd like to learn more, um, you can go onto our website. It's familybuilding.net. We'd love to have you as part of our community. We have book lists and videos and a wonderful mailing list. So you'll get our monthly newsletter with lots of wonderful things on there. And um, we hope that you subscribe and rate and review. And that's how we can keep going. So thanks for joining us.